Memphis Alexander. Chapman for three. Bang! Oh! will get it for the win. Got it! He is hard to believe. Here's Jordan. Yes! The magic of 2 parts, please click the exit button right now because you're not going to understand a word I'm saying. So please do so. If you have, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for really listening. This has really changed a lot of opinion. A lot of my subscribers have told me they've learned so much and I just, I care a lot about this. Uh, the one thing I'll say in this video, the best point that was made from an opposing side was that the game is global now and yes, there are more people playing and more better players around the world than ever before. I do think, however, even though the world is catching up, the best players still hail in America. And even though the development is down, my points in the video still stand. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. I love you all. These are the best episodes I've ever done. And I think that in 10 years, these will be the episodes that I cherish the most and that I work the hardest on. Thanks so much and enjoy. So let's start with some mainstream media guys. And once again, the message from this will be the same as it was with the who's the goat. Stop listening so much to what mainstream media says and start listening to what former players have to say. There's a reason I didn't say current players because let's just use an example, right? The current players, the ones that are getting drafted right now are the same age as the guy you're listening to who hadn't grown up with Jordan. And the, the more we go on, the younger they're going to be. And they're not as big of a fan as me because a lot of these kids, you know, they spend their time trying to go to the NBA. They don't spend their time watching religiously and all this, studying the game. So kids now are going to have a skewed view. In 20 years, I guarantee all these kids are going to think LeBron James is the GOAT because they never watched Jordan, never watched Magic, never watched Russell, Wilt, all these guys. The smartest people in the game. So once again, don't trust the guys that are in the NBA now on history stuff because I don't know how much of students of the game they are. Even, and I really am a big fan of these two players, Lou Williams and Gilbert Arenas, two great players in their times, like had a moment where Gilbert Arenas literally said, Pippen and Dennis Rodman, both 6'7", both weigh 210. <laughs> Talking about they're going to stop somebody in today's game. Like, nah. Six, seven, two, ten. Like you are a little guard in in today's right. game. You guys are little guys. Like, but that's the every ten years the game changes. Yeah, that's what I said. They have no idea about evolution. It's like they don't take we, evolution. I, had, into I always have these debates with my friends. I was like, bro, can you imagine dropping LeBron in the seventy-five? Like just drop LeBron now that you know in seventy-five. I was like, bro. He went 15 championships it's in like, a row. It's like dropping like, Superman in Metropolis. Yeah, that's what I said. And yeah, like, and you say, take oh. the worst player that you could think of in your head in the NBA and, and put him on in 68. It's like they forget evolution. So they're like, well, this year, this, this game. I think it's more skill. I said, no, that's the skill. You know what people's their reaction is? They don't know how you do that because they can't think like you think. They didn't so, have to. Because yeah. it wasn't, yeah, they wasn't like, little. They didn't, they didn't have to. I mean. First, they, uh, in the 90s, they were averaging like 80, 90 points a game. Mm -hmm. Like, we're doing 135s and 140s now, you know, and that's because of 
the skill level. So they didn't they didn't have to figure out how to get to the free throw line. It was like whatever whenever we score. I think mm-hmm. it was more of a stops game in the nineties anyway. It was a big man game. It's, yeah. everyone and, wanted to post. Right. Everyone, no. you know, you had post up you had post up guards. You gotta remember, guards back then weren't scores. You know Except for Jordan. I mean, but like point guards. Right. So yeah, you know, yeah. you're talking about Gary Payton, you know, he was that he hates 90s heads because of the stuff I've been saying, the over-glorification. And he said, Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman, 6'7", 210. You guys would be little dudes in today's NBA. Which is an insanely disrespectful thing to say because that's 20 pounds off. And if you look on basketball reference, from what I've heard, before 2000 or so, all of the weights and heights are rookie weights and heights. So these guys all got older. Because if you look at Scottie Pippen, he wasn't 210 by the time he was in his prime. He was 230, if you look up his weight on the internet. Dennis Rodman, 220. Yet, he had the audacity, Gilbert Arenas, to say that these dudes would be little guys in today's NBA when Robert Covington, a 6'7", 210 guy, was playing center in the playoffs. So, don't come at me with that shit. And then, Lou Williams was talking about how we doing 120, 130 in points. Now, they were only doing like 90s a couple years ago. But he fails to acknowledge that the 60s were the highest scoring era of them all. And that is a clear sign of someone that does not know their history. Because Lou Williams, you got to also look at when these players were born. Lou Williams is born in like mid-80s. So he didn't even watch Michael, like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. He didn't watch the 80s. He grew up with the 90s. And he said something at the end. He said it was more of a big game, more half-court game in the 90s. And he's right about that. But... You know, those two were very misinformed. And as much as I respect Gilbert Arenas and think he'd be even better in this era, Gilbert Arenas, you know, I mean, the dude got kicked out of the league for a gun incident in the locker room. Like, he's not a exactly a model citizen. Anyway, so let's, so once again, the main takeaway is listen to former players, the people that have been alive for the longest time. Bill Russell, Wilt, those guys, the people from that era, Jerry West, these are the most knowledgeable people you could listen to. Not most knowledge because everyone everyone likes to say, oh, they the former players could be biased. But the media's not. You know, the media doesn't have an agenda to push. Remember what I said about what John Anderson told me? Literally told me in person at my in college. He said, We push Zion and LeBron at your throats because they get us the most views and this world runs on money. That is exactly what it is. The players have no agenda, they're speaking their opinions. And once again, that's gonna be the main theme of this episode is all this era stuff it's all opinion but some stuff is fact and let's get to why the what remember what i said why are kids thinking of this let's listen to some examples of the modern media mainstream media now stephen a smith who i've previously said i think is the best talking head because he seems to take context into account he constantly talks about the era differences but for some reason for some reason when he says what he says about michael jordan and how he played in that era People try to say he's hating on LeBron, and this is the most skilled era, and you can't hate on him for the era. No, Stephen A. Smith's opinion is that Michael Jordan's era was more impressive, and Michael Jordan, what he did in his era is more impressive than what LeBron is doing in his. And you are calling him a hater for having an opinion that doesn't align with yours? Anyway, let's look at let's go to Fox, who's extremely toxic. And once again, if you don't believe me when I say these things, how they try to manipulate everybody into thinking that Jordan and LeBron are number one and two... There's a whole show on Fox dedicated to arguing LeBron and Jordan. It's called Undisputed, and it gets a lot of views because it's funny. But what it does is it just repeats and rinses the same thing over and over again so you don't believe any different. You know, my friend Joseph, who we're going to have on the podcast as well, we used to argue Kobe and LeBron all the time. And you know what he used to say to me when I was a LeBron fan? 
He used to say, why do all the hoopers say Kobe's better? And I used to have no rebuttal. I used to say, you got to look at lists. Go to look at the lists or uh, any media. They're comparing him to Jordan now. That, that means he surpassed Kobe. Why are they comparing him to Jordan? And when did they do it? When he himself, LeBron, said he's the GOAT in 2016 after winning 3-1, he just surpassed Magic, he surpassed Larry, he surpassed Kareem. And you know what? I was watching a game in 2013. It was the Miami Heat after LeBron had only won one championship. And they already had a graphic comparing Jordan and LeBron side by side. This comparison was set in stone before he even stepped on the court. And you know why? It has nothing to do with their playing abilities and styles. They have no similarities at all. One's a pass-first playmaker. The other's a scoring machine. There's only one thing in common, that they're the cash cows of the NBA that they've tried to promote and shove during your, down your throats to believe that they're far superior than the rest. And nowadays, I feel uncomfortable even saying Kobe Bryant is better than LeBron because everyone thinks that's a hot take when it's really not. Because one guy is better at scoring, better at rebounding, and has more championships. But for some reason, it's a hot take because ESPN has led you to believe and Fox that these are the two best players. Now, every single person that believes that LeBron is better than Jordan, well, here's the thing. Oscar Robertson and Bill Lambeer or Isaiah Thomas or some play, older players, some of the only older players that have said that LeBron is better. But that is because, for example, in Oscar's case, he values guys that do multiple things on the court like him. So LeBron, Magic, I bet you he thinks Magic's better than Jordan too. So that's fine. He's consistent with his alignment, with his, with his criteria. Isaiah Thomas looks at longevity and the whole career accolades. That's why he said Kareem was the GOAT and then says LeBron's going to be right next to him. Totally fair. The problem with the Gen Z Cucks is and the mainstream media is they have LeBron first and then they have Jordan second. But it doesn't make sense because whoever has LeBron first thinks that he's a better player than Jordan because he does more different things. But Larry Bird and Magic Johnson are all better all-around players than Jordan, but they're too ignorant to admit it because they're so deep into it. So let's go to some specific media examples of of specific media examples of mainstream media skewing opinion so Colin Cowherd very well known and before I say this I'm not gonna berate anyone in the media because all these people deserve respect including Colin because of him making it in the industry but he so once again remember what I said where did this the era debate start is when people start complaining, comparing greats from each era. So Kenny Smith, a couple of months ago, had his top 10 players of all time. Once again, his own personal list. And LeBron was like 10th on it. And you had it go viral. Everybody clowning him saying Kenny Smith does not deserve to talk about basketball. His opinion is irrelevant. You only average 12 points. All this bullshit. You know what? I used to think that Kenny Smith was like a whatever analyst. But that's because I didn't understand the game at the level that he understands it. I never knew all these things that I told you just today. I never knew it. Now that I've watched everything, Kenny Smith's the most knowledgeable one on the panel. He is. Listen to what he says. Listen to how he always talks about the rules. The game has changed. He never tears down players from this era. Charles Barkley and Shaq are harsher on players from this era. But if you listen to those guys talk, the former players whose opinions are far more relevant than Stephen A., Cowherd, or any of these Skip Bayless, they played in the NBA, they're saying it too. And so let me go to the... So because of Kenny Smith's opinion that LeBron is 10th or best or whatever, they do ESPN and them do whatever they do whenever someone says LeBron's not top two or not in the top five. They make a whole segment about it. What do you think of this? What's your reaction to LeBron not being in the top five? And then they berate him to further influence you to think that it's bullshit to have him outside that top 10 or top 5 or whatever. If you don't have LeBron top 5, you don't know basketball. And these comments need to stop. These, If you say that you don't know basketball, needs to stop. 
because those kids that are saying that have no idea about the history of the game. And you know what Kenny Smith said after, right after he spoke his top 10? A very key line that sticks with me. He said, I don't argue with guys that don't know history. <coughs> and that line stuck to me. I understand what he means now. So Colin Cowherd said, I'm nonsense. Let's go to this, though. It is so much easier to score for these players now. Mm, that's interesting. Interesting. So I went this morning and I looked at the top 20 highest individual scoring games in league history. They should all be now, right? I mean, <laughs> it's so easy to just drop 50. Only two are in the last 15 years. Kobe, he was good. And Devin Booker, who had a good night. Two of all the highest scoring games ever. Let me tell you why that's a flawed way of looking at things. You know, Clay Thompson and James Harden have had games in this decade where they were well above, you know, six. they were 60 points with three quarters or so, but the team was winning so much to the point where they pulled him out. If they were in a close game, Harden and Clay, there's no question with how hot they were they could have gotten to 80, 90 points. No, 70? No question. But because it takes extremely interesting circumstances to score that many points because if you actually remember that january 22nd 2006 night that kobe scored 81 the team was losing the whole game and that's why he had to do that but you know what cowherd has the audacity to say he said kobe he was good good okay yeah i've been known about the media's agenda by the way just because you want to think that uh the media is not biased towards kobe bryant i know he had a certain incident in the mid-2000s that, that made people not want to market him but you know Kobe Bryant has won one MVP, and who decides the MVP? Oh, right, the media. Okay. You're an alien. You're, you're someone that's never watched basketball. You see LeBron, you say, okay, he's awesome. Whatever sport it is, he's awesome. He's supposed to win. And I saw you, you were talking about it. Charles Barkley says he's not in his top seven. With respect to Charles, who's the funniest person on television, he's bordering on not being taken seriously anymore. I'm sorry. Like, you have Kobe and Duncan ahead of him. Can we agree that since LeBron took the Cavs to the finals in 07, he's been the best player in basketball. Not even close. That's a nine-year run. So when were Kobe and Duncan the best players in the league? Kobe was, ne you know, you could make an argument. Kobe was never the best player in the league. <laughs> Who's the best player in the NBA? Um, Kobe Bryant. Better than you? I will have to say right now. He's a really, really good player. Um, individually, he has some of the best skills um, that the NBA has ever seen in history. Um, and he's shown year after year after year why he continues to be one of the best players in our league. I'm getting better, though. And it, it, the only argument is, like, maybe from, like, if Shaq, it went Jordan to Shaq, and if Shaq stopped being the best player in 04, then maybe Kobe and Duncan split 05 and 06. Maybe. That's the, and you're going to say LeBron, if Kobe's better than LeBron, here's what, LeBron has on Kobe. Regular season and postseason. Averages more points. Averages more rebounds. Averages more assists, more steals, more blocks. Oh, yeah, and he shoots a higher percentage. Oh, yeah, and he's been the best player on three championship teams. Kobe's been the best player twice. Like, let's stop. That that debate is over forever. LeBron could quit basketball right now. Better than Kobe. And Kobe Trump's vice president. I would prefer he not do that. But if he did, <laughs> he's he's better than Kobe. Yep, no connection though, right? Anyway, the reason why Coward's little stupid study was flawed was because 
Of those 20 performances, let's take out Kobe and Devin Booker. Of those 18 performances, 12 of them were from Wilt Chamberlain in the 60s and one from Elgin Baylor. You might be thinking, that proves his point. It's not getting easier to score. Wrong. Wilt Chamberlain's the greatest scorer there's ever been. And by the way, when you keep going down that list, if you look on basketball reference, the more and more you get under 60, you see a lot of people from this era, Devin Booker, Damian Lillard, multiple times. And he said in his video, he said, it's so easy to just score 50 now. I'm afraid it is. Mo Williams, well out of his prime, had 52 points in 2015. Corey Brewer, well out of his prime. Actually, no, it was prime Corey Brewer, but prime Corey Brewer, 51 points. Jamal Crawford, in Phoenix, way past his prime. Career high, 51, I think it was his career, 51 points in this era. You know, he was doing it back, he scored, uh, like, I think it was against Toronto, he had like a 45-point game with the Clippers when he was at his prime. But he scored 51 in 2019. You know, Cedric Sabalos scored 50 points, an all-star, by the way, if you don't know who that is, in the 90s. And that was a big deal because people just didn't score 50 like that. You had to be really good to do it. Not like Mo Williams out of his prime. So yes, people are scoring 50, like people are scoring ridiculously now. The average NBA team this year scored 111 points. Okay, let's go to the 80s. Oh, wait. The average NBA team in 1985 scored 111 points. Okay, let's go to the 60s. The average NBA team scored 115 points. But it's so much easier to score now. <laughs> you know what he didn't account for? As I said earlier, the most important thing that indicates how many points someone scores is pace of the game. In 1962, the season that Wilt averaged 100, 100 points, Wilt averaged 50 points that we talked about earlier, 108 shots on average were attempted a game by a team. In 2020, 89, a 20-shot difference. So even without the three-pointer, yes, that's why they scored so much. And that's why their percentages are lower, too, because they're just coming up and chucking. Very, It's very dribble up the court, pass, 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 move without the ball. You know, the game used to be very fundamental, move without the ball. But I've noticed as you go in the 70s and 80s, by the way, 80s, very run and gun and still very team-oriented. But the, the longer it went on, the more we started getting these individual talents the more we started giving it more to those individual talents. And the ball started sticking, and it slowed the game down and, and lets teams game plan on how to guard specific players as opposed to everyone on the team being a threat. So that's why the game started slowing down. Or at least that's why, yeah, that's why the game started, you know, less passing-oriented, more iso ball. So, yes, in 2020, 89 shots a game, and in 1999, 78 shots a game. So... That's indicative of pace on different eras. So let's look. The 80s was really fast-paced, but the numbers were skewed by, from what I've heard, skewed a lot because the West Coast teams like the Lakers and the Denver Nuggets in the mid-80s, who were one of the were the highest-scoring team in NBA history. And by the way, you're wondering, how could players have scored so many points then if, if you know, why is it easier to score now if they're scoring the same amount of points in the 80s? Run and gun, much higher percentage shots, and... Incredible basketball players. I don't know. Once again, incredible basketball players in a slightly higher pace as well. And less three-pointers. So, once again, that equates to the higher percentage shots. But, yeah, a lot of run and gun. And, once again, the East Coast wasn't like that. It was only the Western Conference, whereas today it's a lot more universal. You know, a lot more. The same, every team is playing the same way. There's not a, the East Coast doesn't play different style than the West Coast anymore. Anyway. No reasonable person would deny that athletes today are taller. Stop right there. He never used evidence, right? Oh, I'm going to use some. 
So back to the bigger, taller, stronger, faster, whatever. In 1963, the average NBA height was six foot six. In 2020, the average NBA height is six foot six. But the players are getting way taller now. In it was six seven from 81 to 2018. Want me to tell you the real what, what's really happening? Guards are getting taller because the game revolves around them. You got Shea Gilgis Alexander, Lonzo Ball, John Morant, and bigs are getting smaller. And our league has become more of a small ball league. People are not getting taller. Faster. I need some data. What are they doing? 400 meters? Because the game was the fastest it's ever been in the 60s. And if you want to talk about individual speed, yes, somebody will look a little bit quicker in, you know, Nikes than Converse. I need statistics on this. Fast players have always existed. And he, not, he had no evidence to back it up. More rested, private planes, better nutrition, better trainers. More rested? Yes, but I didn't realize more rested means that players are better. Better nutrition and trainers? Okay, I'll give you the nutrition. People know what to eat more now, I guess. But once again, it's not like in the 80s, it was like the Stone Ages. There were gyms. People knew how to take care of their bodies. Now, I think, though, with the better nutrition and the technology, everybody always says, Dude, people, the medical advances, it's different, the science, it's come a long way. Once again, these have nothing to do with the individual player. You don't get more athletic, like exponentially, once you enter the NBA. A lot of athleticism is what you're born with. You can work on your balance. You can work on your strength in the weight room, this and that. You don't just become a more, all of a sudden, when you get to the league, because you're using better facilities and stuff, that you become more athletic. That's not how that works. You know, these athletes... Always, you know, even if everyone says, what if those guys had access to it? They didn't need access to it because they were still fantastic. I think the biggest problem, though, I think the biggest factor, and if I'm wrong about this, guys, please correct me, but I feel like players are lasting longer today because we have updated modern surgeries. You know, back in the day, Willis Reed got hurt in 1971. I think it was 1971 or 1972. He was never the same again. Bob Rule, you guys don't even know who that is. You, I was, when I was doing my evolution of basketball in the late 60s, there was this guy named Bob Rule who made the All-Star team and had great numbers. And then he got injured and was just never the same. Look at a guy like Isaiah Thomas. He only played like 12, 13 years. Chris Paul's now in his, what, going into his 16th year. And he's one of the most fragile players I've seen in the league. And he gets, you know, he's had wrist surgery. He's had knee surgery. But he comes back the same every time. Part of it because his game doesn't revolve around athleticism. But I feel like, you know, Rondo, Chris Paul, Marvin Williams. Like, everyone just seems to be lasting longer. And careers were shorter back in the day. Part of it is not just the technology and stuff. These guys actually played 82 games. 82 games in tougher shoes. And not all the stuff you said. Not masseuses and private planes and stuff. But once again, this has much less to do with... Much more to do with just, like, you know, making life easier to last longer and stuff. Than like the talent level of players and you know Mike Breen was saying on the telecast that I was watching the other day he was saying I think just players just have more ability to be comfortable now it doesn't have anything to do with the individual skill like oh yeah modern training in private planes and stuff is not a reason why players couldn't play in today's NBA that's just really garbage and lazy in my opinion and wait there's more better trainers I think we already talked about skill development and he said it's a global sport you're getting the world's best you know, that's true. We also had Akeem Olajuwon and Detlef Shrimp in them in the 90s now. But, you know, I think there's a reason why the European and international players are starting to become better than now. And that's something that Kobe said about the development of American players. The international, who are the best bigs in the league? Centers. Embiid. Jokic. Nurkic. Lori Markinen. Ah, doubt it. That's, that's stretching it a bit. Kristaps Porzingis. A lot of... 
Oh, if it's a Zubat's another just just good bigs I'm thinking of. You know, these guys are not from America. These big men have been trained a little better. And you know, for every single Luka Doncic and Dirk Nowitzki, there's a Dragon Bender and a Darko Milicic. And he just didn't I don't think that once again, at the end of the day, the best players do still come from America and I don't think that's another reason why just because you're getting players from all over the world doesn't because once again people say oh more people are trying out for the NBA than ever facts it's also the easiest to get noticed today in terms of what the resources you have with social media and stuff to get noticed there's less spots though in the NBA which nobody talks about there's less spots in the league so mathematically it's there's it's easier to make the NBA even though as it's very hard to make the league trust me but you know, I can also sit here and make an argument for the athletes being better than. They had to play in way tougher conditions in a much more physical league, playing way heavier minutes, doing more on both ends of the floor, actually taking games seriously. Like, for example, Wilt at age... we are, Everyone's acting like LeBron's the first person to like do this incredible stuff at age 35. Wilt Chamberlain at age 35 played 47 minutes a game in the finals. 47 at the center spot. You know, until his last season, in that 04 season, Carl Malone missed 10 games in 18 years. You didn't, I didn't mess that up. 10 games in 18 years of 82 games a season. You know, nowadays when you see somebody play 82 games, it's a rarity. Everything's about, oh, let's conserve for the defense or for the offense. Oh, let's not risk it. Let's load manage. Let's rest him. Look at the Celtics this season. How many times did they play Hayward, Jalen, Kemba, and Tatum all at once? Not that many. And the injury rate is higher. It's, it's, it's the highest it's ever been. So players are more athletic now? Why? Is it because they're getting worked like dogs when they're when they're young? I know that's a thing. Is it because they're making more swift movements? Why are people getting injured more now? Is it because they're attacking the rim kind of more? I don't even know if that's the case. But I know that, you know, you have more change of direction, sweat movement of the joints now. Back then, it was a little bit more, I don't know. You don't have people flying all over the place. But that's in the 60s and the 70s. I haven't gone to the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. But players are falling down more than ever before today from what I've seen. Um, so, yeah, that's my argument for the players being more athletic back then. We could do this all day, you know. And, oh, the main thing that Colin did in that video that's so disappointing. That means... You're confusing easier to score with they make it look easier to score. That's the difference. LeBron makes it look easier. Dirk Nowitzki, Anthony Davis. These players are so good now, we think, oh, I mean, nobody plays defense. Out of your mind. Everybody's playing defense. You can't stop anybody. He's ignoring blatant rule changes. He said... Everyone's playing defense. Nobody can stop you. That's just bullshit. Just absolute bullshit. Nobody, I, I can see who's playing defense and who's not. You know what? Despite what I said about getting over screens earlier, I've seen when somebody's hustling over a screen in today's NBA. It's still possible. Patrick Beverly, when he's locked in, he does it. And I can see what the effort difference looks like. People are not playing defense, straight up. I think it's just not a lot of defense being played. Teams are scoring like it's freaking 1960s and 70s. Like it's just it's 132 to 112, 142 to 121. It's just like there's no defense. Like there's just none. Then we go into a Utah-Boston game. You know we're playing and it's 86 to 
92, you know yeah. what I mean? And you just see the difference in just the effort in every single night, which I get from an NBA player standpoint, the amount of games we play, but it's just sometimes you have to make guys miss. Like, you know, guys, like we're all NBA players. If you see a open look at the rim, I'm pretty sure we're going to knock it down over 50% of the time if it's wide open. I mean, it's just even. So smallest, no defense, you know, and just effort. You know. <laughs> it's really what it comes down to, man. There's, nobody should be scoring that many points. Yeah, when you see told that, Defense isn't really an emphasis anymore in this league. Uh, you know, so I think you're seeing that all around the league with these high scores, and we know what the emphasis is. I mean, for, but for real, who really plays defense in the NBA? <laughs> like, for real, I'm dead serious. Like, you can't touch nobody anymore. You know what I mean? Like, everybody else, they get soft calls, but it is what it is more of a finesse game it's more of you know small ball you know I mean it's which personally I don't really care much for I mean I like kind of smash mouth you know old school basketball you know I also think it's it's much much less physical much much less physical I mean some of the flagrant fouls that I see called nowadays is just makes me nauseous I mean, you can't you can't touch a guy without it being a flagrant foul is there a way to ever reverse that you think I don't know. I mean, you know, kids might be a little too sensitive. Another thing he said that was blasphemous. It used to be in the NBA that if you were a center or a big and you scored a basket, you would run down on the defensive end and just wait for the big guy to just drop right next to you. Now the big guy can dribble. The big guy can shoot a three. Giannis and Anthony Davis and... I mean, Joel Embiid now can shoot threes. So the big fella, I got to chase the big, the senders around the court. I'm chasing guys around the court. I used to be able to be like, all right, big fella, come and lean on me. No, you know what they're doing? They weren't just plopping in the paint to sit there. They were going at their opposing number, mono e mono, instead of just setting a screen and running around. They're actually going one-on-one. -on -one. That is much tougher. It may not be as taxing running-wise, but once again, Pace of the game in different eras, higher than today, more running involved. So he omits that. So he said, nowadays your big men can shoot a three. Embiid, AD, Giannis. Well, why does Embiid always mess up? What do the TNT guys say? Settles for jumpers too much. Facts. Anthony Davis, you Laker fans know. What does AD do wrong when he starts messing up? Settles. Gets the ball at the three-point line. You know you know the possession's going to go bad when he's got the ball at the three-point line against Jay Crowder, not on the mid-post where he can hit that turnaround. Giannis? We're really going to talk about Giannis, who's messed up in the playoffs two years in a row? That's how easy it was to defend centers. Just and only one guy had the sky hook. Everybody else was kind of offensively limited, right? There wasn't a lot of skill at center. He goes, there wasn't a lot of skill at center. Actually, maybe the worst thing he's ever said. Were not enough skill at center. It's because people just people that didn't play basketball, and clearly I looked up Colin's background, just because once again, you got to look into these things. He said he was, uh, it said on his Wikipedia, he was a roommate of a football player in college and he used to listen to baseball broadcast, uh, radio broadcast growing up. Doesn't sound like much basketball involved. Sounds like something he tried to pick up when he started getting into radio and stuff because I'll tell you one real casual take he makes. He has magic in like a completely different conversation than Larry Bird. Anyone that was alive in the 80s could tell you that that was neck and neck. Larry Bird was better, magic was better, we can go all day. And the fact that he puts Magic in a different galaxy, in a different tier. And, you know, this guy was ready to put Kawhi Leonard in his all-time top five if he won the championship this year over Bird and Kobe. And said Kobe doesn't belong in that conversation. And I have said, if Kawhi Leonard in two and a half, three months is holding up a trophy, is holding up 
the championship trophy. He's a top 10 player in the league all time. I'm going to say it today. He's a top five player. That was MJ. That's what you tell me matters. Get a bucket, get a stop. MJ. Folks, we're three months away. Top five. What about Kobe? Kobe was never the get a stop guy in the NBA. Kobe didn't have all those clubs. Kobe's not in those clubs. And Kobe had the best coach. So that's who you're getting your opinions from, right? And so that wasn't a lot of skill at center. was bullshit. He goes, players are better and better coached. I just, I mean, take that for what you will. I disagree. And then, so yeah, I think we're so soft on these stars nowadays because back in the day, not everybody could score offensively. So Kareem and all these guys, Magic, Jordan, they had to carry huge loads offensively. It's not the same as now when you got shooters all over the court for you. So that's why I say we're so soft on these stars. And Players now are on private jets. There's fewer back-to-backs. They've got better nutrition. They're more rested. They have better trainers. They are ready to play every night. I regularly watch games in the regular season, and I'm like, this is a playoff game. Guys are after it. It's not easier to score. Everybody just makes it look easy. Maybe the most casual comment he made in the entire video. I've never seen a group of players so unmotivated before, as in today's NBA. Even in 2010, it was better. And I neglected it until I went back and watched. I said, no, the NBA's always been the same. I've seen it grow. No, 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 no. Go back and watch it. There's a clear difference. And... Yeah, saying they're ready to play every night, that's just bogus. And he goes, Kenny Smith is wrong. It's a more skilled league now. Once again, once again, everyone says it's a more skilled league now. But all they have to say is dribbling, shooting. They make up a checklist. What about moving without the ball? What about decision making? What about defense? What about post game? What about finishing around the basket? What about different types of... Once again, the biggest strength to me is adaptability. You know, what is needed in the game and knowing your role. You know, another thing about players today is nobody wants to be a role player anymore. No one wants to be Derek Fisher. Everybody wants to be Steve Nash. They all want to be stars. Nobody wants to be a role player. They all want to chase the bag. They all want 100,000 Instagram followers. It's not, it's like more of an entertainment than it's basketball anymore. Nobody wants to actually buy into roles. It's like insulting calling somebody a role player now, which is total horseshit. And I think a guy like George Hill has done a great job in the modern NBA of being a role player that's contributed to wins no matter where he's gone. So... Oh, and then he said, just to end it, we're about to be over with with Cowherd's spiel. Because this video, and the most appalling thing of the video, guys, is the comments. Everyone's saying, Colin just destroyed all the old heads with this take. You know, this is the best thing Colin's ever said. Thousands and thousands of likes on these comments. And if you look closely enough and you scroll down enough, you can see that there are some people that are saying all the things I'm saying, fighting the good fight. But it's unbelievable how many people saw that video, millions of people, and just believe every word he said with all the context that he left out. And it's sickening to me. And it made me almost want to chuck my TV or chuck my remote at the TV. But wait, there's more. He called players better passers. I think we already addressed that. By the way, if you're uh, uh, a hooper, just like somebody that's playing, next time you go play pickup, if someone tries to go post you up, front the, front the guy in the post. Make them throw it over the top. See if they can make the pass. I guarantee you, I don't, I, I don't even want to tell you how many turnovers I've gotten on any player playing pickup over my life, fronting the post. Because they see me, I'm a smaller guy. They want to post me up. They underestimate the bounce. They throw these lazy-ass passes that have no chance of reaching them. No passing mechanics. No weight, no height, no nothing. None of that shit. It's not taught anymore. I never did passing drills when I did training. None. I did it, all, it was all me that did the passing stuff. Just natural. And he goes, could you imagine Kareem Abdul-Jabbar guarding Anthony Davis? Once again, going back to the Anthony Davis, well, he goes, he'd get exhausted running all over the court. Really? Because 
I don't think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is somebody that was lacking stamina or the ability to move laterally because Anthony Davis's career high in minutes is 36.4. Kareem has played 12, 12 full seasons more than that of AD and in a faster-paced era, and I've seen him switch onto guards and send a sh- I saw him send Dennis Johnson's shot to the second row. So you want to talk about Kareem's lateral ability? I'm sorry you were maybe a little too young or not into basketball yet, Colin, but start doing your research because that was an extremely, really... Uh, ridiculous and ignorant comment to make. And then you started insulting Dave Cowan, saying he's 6'9". Dave Cowan, who locked up Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Game 7 along with the rest of his Celtics team in 1974 to win a championship and averaged a bunch of rebounds by the time centers were above the height of 6'9". In a great era of big men. Like, the insulting comments that were made in that video. Just appalling. And and you know what? The and This is to prove my whole point. You know what the pinned comment was to that video he made? Is LeBron the GOAT? And, you know, over the course of the playoffs, he was, like, saying how LeBron needed more help and how AD wasn't enough and all this stuff. And, like, it's like they're twisting it to make it seem like the Lakers are doing, like, the unthinkable or something. And he goes, Like Michael in his prime, I do not believe can take this roster, even Anthony Davis, to the finals. This is just old and weird and disparate parts. (laughs) I mean... It was never a debate who was better between Jordan and Pippen. This year, legitimately, it was a debate AD and LeBron. And for all those that are getting offended by that comment, well, what was the reason why LeBron won finals MVP? Because he led in every stat, right? But AD led in every single stat except for assists in the regular season. But because, you know, we want to go to something else to favor LeBron, then that's the narrative that they're going to run with. Whatever favors their guy. And so let's move away from Cowherd. And I know the one thing. So by the way, when you want to listen to... um. Mainstream media, please, a guy like Nick Wrong, who was literally my uncle's age, who didn't grow up with Jordan's whole career, leaving out context, saying stuff about Jordan's first round exits, not talking about what his team were or anything like that, and just basically lying. And, you know, he said the East was weak when Jordan played, talking about Hall of Famers that are decided way after they play basketball, not talking about the context of, of stars in an individual season. You know, and just, you know, assuming that the guys LeBron plays are going to be in the Hall of Fame, which is also ridiculous, just to make those assumptions. And, you know, he had, he, he's, it got to the point where Isaiah Thomas is retweeting this guy saying that his own East was weak because Isaiah's so anti Jordan, too, that he retweeted what he's saying. Maybe he's, maybe Isaiah thinks that he's talking about the 90s East. But once again, if you listen to my podcast, Who's the Goat, in the 97 season, there were like six Eastern Conference teams above 54 wins. So let's not start that bullshit. Anyway, Paul Pierce didn't have LeBron in his top five. He had Russell, Magic, Jordan, Bird, and Kobe. Or Kareem, I'm sorry, instead of Bird, and Kobe. And he got clowned for it, not having LeBron in his top five. Guilted into putting him in his top five after he won this ring. But how did he like go four spots up? Because what Paul Pierce said, his criteria was... Magic, Jordan, Tim Duncan, Kobe, uh, Bird. These guys are all top ten players who would either help build up their organization or continue the tradition. And Paul, saying, the, the, the one thing that is ever... From LeBron. He went and put together a team in Miami. I think there's and a lot of... Comp- he came back to Cleveland to put that team together. And then he went to the Lakers, <laughs> where a tradition has already been made, and we don't know, you know, that's still to be continued. So in saying that, that's my argument. You know, I respect players that build their own legacies, that build a franchise. And 
I, that's his opinion. But but Rachel Nichols and Jay Williams and all them want to laugh at him and make make it that he conforms to every to the propaganda. It's like let Paul Pierce have an opinion. The truth, you know. And then you have the audacity of the little bronze sexual cult saying he's just mad that LeBron kicked his ass. Oh really? Then why did LeBron leave Cleveland? Because I'm afraid the Celtics were kicking his ass left and right out of the playoffs, right? And Paul Pierce played against Kobe in the finals, lost and won, but still thought he was better. So it's not all bias, is it? Maybe because other NBA players think that LeBron has gotten a little too much hype. But let's listen to... That's why, by the way, so if you guys are wondering why I don't like LeBron James, it has honestly nothing, not much to do with LeBron, more to do with the people that are associated with his fandom all do these things, all do these things. Jalen Rose literally said... LeBron winning one in Cleveland... Equals Tim Duncan winning five in San Antonio. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. San Antonio is a small market that had never won before Tim Duncan and is not doing shit since he left. So what's up with that stuff? You know, Jay Williams, when Paul Pierce was saying his points, goes to the time machine argument. But like, I know Bill Russell was legendary, right? And I know he won 11 of 13. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Let me finish. Go ahead. Go, go. Finish. I'm going there. I'm going there. So my thing is, you guys are only saying, so Bill Russell wins 11 to 13, even though the people he was playing against, he was dominating the people playing. So if I were to put LeBron James back in the 60s, will LeBron James dominate those players too? The players today we have in the game, are they the best athletes in the world? Are they better athletes yes. than what it was 20 yes. years ago? Jay, Jay, here. So Jay. you're making my point. Jay, Paul just alluded to, I want to. You know, we know that these are the best athletes ever. No context, of course. And, you know, Colin Coward was talking to Ron Artest, and he was trying to bait Ron into steer it into the way that Ron would give LeBron praise. You know, I can make you miss 20 shots. LeBron passes the ball, you see? And, and then he works without the ball to get it back. He's, he's not great off the ball. He's not a great player off the ball. But he had to check him and say, no, he's actually not very good off the ball, which is facts. So I'm just letting you know, once again, former players. You know, let me give you some former players' opinions before we get into the one thing that I know all you guys are waiting for. The one thing when it comes to easier to score that every single Gen Z cuck or person that props up the modern game wants to talk about, and it's coming. Don't worry if we're going to end it on that. But let's go with this. So, Tracy McGrady, he said he won't surpass Jordan, and Rachel got all butthurt because, you know, she loves LeBron. And she was like, so no one's ever going to be better at basketball than him? And Tracy McGrady said, it's not about no one. You asked me about LeBron. So, and this was once again a couple of years ago, guys. This was like, they're talking about him before he won the fourth ring. You know what I mean? So, when, when you're listening to this, now that LeBron's won a fourth championship, it's not about that. They were doing these same conversations before the fourth championship. Um, let's see. Kareem, Jordan, and Kobe all refused to speak on this debate, except for if all you guys are really fishing for straws. Kobe said it at James Corden when he pressured him and he didn't want to answer it on a comedic, you know, a com- comedy show. But Kareem shouted out Larry Bird and Oscar and Russell as some of the greatest players he's ever watched. Bill Russell calls himself the GOAT, and he has every right to do so because he's won the most championships. And once again, the game is about winning. So when people try to compare stats in different eras, it's total bullshit. Because once again, different amount of points and different pace and different rules change for each era. So comparing stats is the dumbest thing you can do. And I'm going to explain certain things in a second. So yeah. Former players are the way to go, guys. And once again, people that have been around the game the longest are always the most knowledgeable. And those of, and usually their opinion of LeBron James is the litmus test. And it is for me. And every single time, it's worked perfectly. Anytime people can see the flaws in LeBron, they're op- willing to open their minds about other eras. 
So, I know what you're waiting for. And it's always used when talking about Jordan. No other player, always Jordan and LeBron. Once again, where most of these arguments and where this comes from. But Jordan never played zone defense. (laughs) Now, let me explain about zone first off from my personal perspective. Growing up, I liked better when teams played zone because you can guarantee if you just move the ball quickly and space it the right way, usually one guy at the top, two guys on either wing, one guy in the high post and one guy running the baseline, you can carve them apart like a turkey just by moving the ball quickly, right? Whereas man, you know, you got to work. You got to get by your man or, you know, create a little bit. Whereas zone, you can get open threes, you know, on demand, right? So I think it's kind of funny when they try to say that stuff about zone. Now, zones have always existed and there's multiple, multiple compilations of videos of zones being implemented before the actual rule that allowed zones to be legalized in the NBA, but they just go undetected and are done in subtle ways. Some great guns. Nine for your first nine. Yeah, I shot the ball well. I had some good looks. Uh, you know, they went into a zone early, which gave me two good looks at it, and I kind of got a rhythm off those two shots. And from that point on, I felt... Now, the official rule... See, I watched classic games for a while, as I said in the episode. But I never knew about this whole illegal defense. I knew zones weren't legal, but I didn't know the rules of illegal defense. If you're wondering what that means, I'm not to explain. The rule was known as, you know, you have to guard a player and be arm's length of an opponent. You can't just be guarding space, essentially. You have to stay with a man. But some people that defend this rule don't even understand the rule. They think that they were like players couldn't get double team back in the day. What? Double teams have been existing since the beginning. You know... Harder double team used to happen. Now you got a lot of, once again, loading up, shadowing, shading, acting like you're going to come, but you're not fully going to come, which people think is, you know, a lot more tricky defense than hard doubles where you always have an open man. But the thing that people don't understand is what's known as guarding a player in the 80s and 90s isn't the same as today. Because what's known as guarding a player now is being right next to them because everybody can shoot. But back in the day, you'd have a guy at the three-point line holding the ball, and a guy would be sagged off at the foul line. But that's not an arm's length of an opponent, but it's considered legal guarding position because they're not shooting from that deep. So those guys are all loading up. They're all helping the postman. You know, I've seen Kareem Abdul-Jabbar get double-teamed before he even gets the ball. So let's go to... Let's elaborate a little more, right? So, zone is another one where, you know, I didn't see teams playing zone like that 10 years ago, five years ago. It wasn't happening. You don't even see zone played that much today, but it's starting to go up lately for a reason. But you think to yourself, why would zone be going up lately when players can shoot better? You know why? It's because people don't have that high post, man. And you can see it a lot with the Celtics when they played against the Heat, and the Heat really tortured them off the zone, is you got to have a guy in the high post that can turn and make reads, whether it be a pull that mid-range, take a dribble in, make a play. And a lot of guys, they don't get in that high post. They're just around the perimeter. So when you have a zone that's only perimeter and there's no inside-outside, then it's easy to guard. Back in the day, you put Pau Gasol or any real power forward. By the way, look at the power forward in opposed to the last five years. The power forward doesn't even exist anymore. It's all stretch fours and small forwards like Danilo Gallinari or Marcus Morris playing the four. You know, who's the best power forward in the league today? Anthony Davis. But after that, is Giannis even a power forward? Draymond, Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge? Go back five years. Listen to all these power forwards we had, real ones. Amari Stoudemire, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, Blake Griffin, David Lee, Paul Millsap, LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, I can keep going on. Pau Gasol, Zach Randolph, Kevin Garnett. I can go on and on. The big man has died. 
and it's coming back in the form of certain players. But you having Pau Gasol in the high post, you that's you you suicide. But anyway, let's break down the rules. Now there's two videos and two guys, Dom 2K and the rigged BA who really pushed the agenda of illegal defense and that zones change the league and that's more relevant than all the stuff people say and that the old heads all neglect to talk about zone and that they're all biased and use hand-checking as a myth. And that 1979, there was a rule that said hand-checking is eliminated. So they swear by that rule, those two that made the videos, right? But then if, if hand-checking was eliminated in 1979, then why do all these older players talk about it? Is it because they want to romanticize their era? Or because they actually faced it. It's because they actually faced it. Because once again, as we talked about in the very top of the podcast, hand-checking is very hard to call. So, once again, when you're acting like NBA players, it won't matter if they get hand-checked. Who's hand-checking them? Other NBA players. So it does make a difference. As much as you don't want to admit it. It causes for less space. Go back and watch the 1994 finals and see Kenny Smith getting hand-checked by Derek Harper the whole way. Now, am I telling you that there's never hand-check calls in the 80s and the 90s? No, there are. But once again, it's just loosely enforced. And there's a guy, Legend of Winning, that made an amazing rebuttal to the Dom 2K video that really, you know, discussed why that 1979 hand-checking eliminated is bogus. But I'm going to tell you why as well in this podcast. Now, and then in 1991, it was divided into two separate categories, the flagrant one and the flagrant two. Once again, in a way, softening up the game. And then if 1979 fully eliminated hand-checking, Besides, you know, players saying it, which you don't want to believe their opinions because you want to be ignorant and believe what you want to believe. In 1995, a new rule was instated. Hand-checking eliminated from the end line in the backcourt to the opposite foul line. So that meant you can only hand-check from the foul line, basically when you're on the drive. 1998. A defender will not be permitted to use his forearm to impede the progress of an offensive player who is facing the basket. So back in the day, not even hand-checking. You could use your forearm. This is pure facts right here, right off the NBA rules. All these articles, all the things I'm referring to will be in the description, people. And then, besides the offensive rules I was talking about earlier, the very harsh offensive fouls of Wilt Chamberlain and all those guys, 1998, the restricted circle was created, meaning that if you're within the circle, it's a blocking foul and not a charge. Again, making life easier for offensive players. And in 2000, a defender may not make contact with his hands and or forearms on an offensive player except below the free throw line extended. Again, another rule about the, about the hand checking. So anyway, store, scores towards the late 90s started getting a little shorter. Now, some say this has to do with the fact that they shortened the three-point line for three years from 94 to 95 to 97. And that that made the spacing more clogged because by moving the three-point line in, the spacing would be more clogged. But I can't tell you because I haven't been there yet. However, the scores started getting lower in the late 90s before zone was implemented. The pace started slowing down. Now, why? I'm not particularly sure. But I will say that less fast-breaking is definitely, I mean, it's not a fast-break game as much. So, listen to this rule in 2001. Defender may not use his forearm, shoulder, hip, or hand to reroute or hold up an offensive player going from point A to point B or one who is attempting to come around a legal screen set by another offensive player. Another one, same year, slowing or impeding the progress of the screener by grabbing, clutching, holding, chucking, or wrapping up is prohibited. 
And then we get to the golden one. 2002. Illegal defense guidelines eliminated in their entirety. But, people, so people are trying to say that players back in the day had more space to operate, which is ludicrous because of the spacing. But if that one-on-one, they say that because they had to stay close to their man and couldn't load up or couldn't shadow or couldn't guard space, that they couldn't rotate in time to stop offensive players from going to the basket. However, what they neglect is that when zone was created, it's not even allowed to be a full zone. Because in college, there's no such thing as a defensive three-second violation. In the NBA, in 2002, they had the defensive three-second violation. So nobody could just camp out in the paint. But back in the day, you could just camp out in the paint with no remorse. You could just sit there. And that changes everything. Literally everything. So you can play zone all you want. And it may make, in the beginning, it took time for players to adjust, but also it's because you had zone mixed with hand checking, mixed with physicality, all in one. So that's why from 2001 to 2004, you have the lowest scores, lowest efficiency in the history of the game. Does that mean players are worse? It wouldn't support meaning players were getting better and better, though, was it? Because they're not scoring more points, they're scoring less points than ever. And because they started scoring less points than ever, then the NBA really changed. So by the way, I was told that these zone rules were made to stop the post up and get the ball moving more to different players and not, you know, post up, kick out, double team the postman, whatever. But you know who won the championship before they made the uh, zones legal? The Lakers. And their best player was Shaq. You know who won the championship the first year after zones were made legal? Shaq. So, you know, if you're telling me a great player can't make a basic read with somebody loading up as opposed to hard double... I think you're a little mistaken. I would even argue that hard doubles can be a little harder. And some people, I don't know this for sure, but some people argue that the that the fake zones were harder to, to play against than the legal zones because you had teams going from zone to man mid-possession. So it's not blatant zones, but there are different forms of zones. And you know what's funny about that rigged BA guy? He was talking about the league making agendas and easing, easing rules up for Jordan and how the NBA used to be easy, but yet he talks about LeBron and how hard he has it. Because players load up on him. And you know, for players that try to say that what would Jordan done with zones? Well, he did play against zone with the Wizards. And he averaged 20 points per game as a 40-year-old man against zones. So if you want to wonder what would Jordan have done against zones, I think that answers your question. So really, really lame argument with the defensive, the defensive three-second violation. And let's just look at some statistics, though. Because, because the NBA was doing so poorly in terms of scoring, and people love scoring, the scores were getting so low. 2003 finals, go watch the 2004 finals, and then you can be reminded what real defense looks like again. But nobody was scoring like that. So you know what they did? In 2005, new rules were introduced to curtail hand-checking, further reduce, clarify blocking fouls, and call more defensive three seconds to open up the game. And then the golden generation of point guards started. Who won MVP? Steve Nash. And then it became all about the guard, less about the post-up, you know, as post-fundamentals are declining, but the game has shifted away from that because the guard now is a quick guy when you can't touch them has an advantage. And now with pick and rolls, you can't put any contact on the screeners, no contact at all. And now... It's much easier to look more skilled, people, when no one is touching you. You know, look at 10 years ago, Sam Cassell, these different point guards. They didn't shoot a bunch of threes. Patino Mobley, 
You know, these are just guards in the Clippers in the beginning. These guys would, were all could hit threes, but it wasn't the style. And that's why Kenny Smith said when Charles Barkley was like, I think Harden's a better scorer than Kobe. He goes, because um, Kobe and Jordan weren't as good of a three-point shooter. And Kenny Smith said, that's not the style, though. They would be shooting more threes. And Charles Barkley said, that's not, the, not his fault. And Shaq said a really good point. He said, so one thing makes you better? And that's precisely the point. Better skill sets, guys, is about variety. Is about if somebody has a back to the basket and a face up game like Jordan or Kobe, that automatically puts him in a different category. Because and Melo in his prime, he had a post up game too. So let's end it off with some statistics besides the rule changes I said of why everything of what the truth is. Because once again, I guess. I guess listening to older players' opinions wasn't enough. You had to go with, you know, what you believe. Or what you want to believe, I should say. So let's go with some stats. In 2002, right when they made the rule, actually I should say in 2001, 94.8 points per game on average for the league. After zone implemented, scoring actually went up to 95.5 and 95.1 the next year. So that doesn't really support your argument, right? For you zone heads. And then in ninety in two thousand four, it actually went down to ninety three point four. The lowest it had been since ninety nine was the lockout season, ninety one point six, which I think is still the lowest scoring season in the history of the game. At least after the shot clock era. And then from the one we're saying, oh four oh five, the league average goes up exponentially to four points greater from 93 to 97 but i wonder what that was because the nba rules said it was to open up the game once again a more aesthetically pleasing experience letting guards be able to get in the paint more shooting more movement of the ball per se with zones and all that and zones are still legal but scoring has only increased as the game has gone softer and softer and now we're scoring 112 points per game and it's because we're shooting 40 one threes a game 40 or 34 threes a game i'm sorry so if you don't believe that it's easier to score now you're lying because once again that's why and that's why stats cannot be compared in every era you have to contextualize these stats stats in the 80s will probably look better than the 90s stats in the uh, early 2000s are going to be definitely worse than other eras and that's the lowest scoring era of all time whether it was the hardest to score i'm not sure maybe because of how low scoring it was but I'm only going to know once I fully watch everything. But once again, I felt the need to do this, guys, because I see so many kids every single day say the same things. And it's not just kids on Twitter. I've talked to my friends, and they all say the same things too. They've all been manipulated. They've all been brainwashed by the media. And they all think the same thing about previous eras in which they haven't studied. And it's so ignorant that they believe that they're right and not what older players who have lived through these eras say. And it's really sad to me because it inspired me. Once I gained this respect for the older players of understanding their generations, it kind of led me to believe, like, if you truly love basketball, why would you want to shit on eras of basketball? If you really love basketball, you should... Be happy that there's other errors that are just as good for different reasons. So the ultimate question of the video, what's the best era? You know, if you love fundamentals, it's the 60s. If you love, I don't even know how to describe the 70s really as opposed to the 60s. But maybe some people love the 70s. If you love a run and gun, super team era, it's the 80s. If you love a little bit more half court, 
Big Jordan fan, maybe? 90s. If you like slow, half-court basketball, no fast breaks, 2000s. And if you love threes, fancy shit, and little defense, 20, it's the 2010s. The best era, my friends, is all subjective. The 80s ain't better than the 60s. The 60s ain't better than the 80s. But it's all about what aligns with you, the fan. What's my favorite era? Well, it's definitely somewhere in between the fundamentals and the excitement that we see today, the highlight plays. So as much as I love the 60s and I like the 70s, it's not that. And I can't stand today's era. And that 2000s was a little slow for me. So I want to say it's either the 80s or the 90s. And I haven't gotten there to tell you, but man, there's so much great basketball. There's so many things. Just question everything, guys. Former players, not the mainstream media, they always have agendas. It is easier to score today than it has ever been. And if you don't believe me, ask Luka Doncic or Ricky Rubio, who came from overseas and literally said it's easier to score in the NBA. Why? No defensive three-second violation. So these zones can't even be really legitimized. And you can't really play zone against these NBA players unless they have no high post guy to exploit the inside-outside. So that's it, guys. There truly is no best era. It's all up to the fan. This has been a long episode. I've needed to get it off my chest for a while because I wasn't going to just start making video breakdowns of the 60s and the 70s without you guys seeing this because I know everyone's just going to say, why are you doing this? This is weak. Nobody cares about this shit. It's dumb. It's stupid. The players can't shoot. They have no handles. I had to do it, man. Yeah, guys, there's so much great basketball. Question everything. Appreciate the game. Once again, where, what are we taking away from this besides the fact that it's easier to score now and that stats are extremely inflated? The game has changed. Let me know what you think. Don't forget to subscribe. I finally got this off my chest. We did it. Don't forget to subscribe. Peace. Better players, more rested, better nutrition, better coaching, better scouting, better players, better passers, better ball handlers, better shooters, better by a mile. And those guys can all play defense. Player of the year. Not a lot of guys in the NBA are great defenders. There's about five, six, seven guys every year in the league that are really good defenders. Relaxed, okay? They are just so relaxed. I think it's easier to score now than it's ever been in the history of basketball.